Amen. Let's give the band a hand. You'll be seated. Great to see everybody. Have a seat. Get comfortable. Don't put your feet up, but get comfortable. Uh, it's awesome. Zach, great job. <clears throat> He's going to get mad that I said this too, but this guy's a blessing back here. He does a lot of stuff for this ministry behind the scenes. He does our app. He does our website. Uh, websites really assist a lot with podcasts, kind of assist the tech team in these things, and plus he's up here on the stage. And, you know, I know that, you know, I've been around a lot of churches, and I know there's churches around this country where, you know, they find people that they're the best musician, they put them in the band, but, you know, their heart isn't always in the right place. And I can tell you that I've seen him, you know, pray, I've seen him, you know, change, I've seen him minister to people and share his faith, and it's just a real blessing to have him up here. And uh, also, I, I was going to get, I forgot... We have an update on Cody wandering around Turkey. Awesome, awesome. So uh, Cody who's in our band as well. The long-haired guy looks like Jesus. He's wandering around Turkey right now. He just, you know, he blows where the wind goes. So he, uh, he wanted to go see the seven church site of the seven churches in Revelation. And so he's on his way over there. Or, or, uh, he's already there. And I uh, think coming back maybe this next week unless he decides, Thursday, unless he decides to extend it and go to Uzbekistan or some other place that he wants to go to. So uh, awesome. We'll pray for him as he's traveling. Uh, it's a real blessing today to, uh, to have with us uh, Shane Winnings, and I'll welcome him up here in a second, but you can give him a clap. That's fine. We can, we can welcome him. And I, I was telling him yesterday, we were on the golf course, and we're not going to talk about the score, but we had a good time. So we're just, we're going to leave it at that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I really told Shane that I've been trying to kind of prime you know, our body here, that, that this is, that, that I really believe that he is a timely word. And we first met in Washington, D.C. at the March for Martyrs. I had shared with you guys when I came back from that about that experience, and, and we had the opportunity at the start of the march to be able to minister together uh, in kind of an open-air setting. And so, you know, really, I mean, if you've never, if you've never preached open-air before, it's a, it's a special thing. It's a very unique thing because, you know, some people are there maybe to show up and listen, and there's a lot of people walking by that aren't there to listen, and there's some people that just found themselves there, and they didn't know what brought them there, uh, but the Lord's bringing people, you know, and drawing them. And so I really got to see his gift, his call, just the, just a heart for evangelism, um, and uh, it, it's, it's just a real joy just to, to have you here today. It really is. Um, uh, Shane is, and I'm going to let him maybe decide how much of his bio he wants to go into, but he's a former Army Special Forces. Uh, he was a law enforcement officer in a pretty tough spot up in the state of Washington uh, in, a, in a pretty overrun city, um, and, and the Lord had a radical call on his life, and, and I'm so thankful that you responded and that you listened. I believe that there's a lot of people that the Lord calls. In fact, I believe the Lord is calling everybody, uh, but not everybody responds. And I, I think you're a testimony of what happens when you do respond. Uh, God has just accelerated his ministry. He kind of exploded on, on social media and YouTube and these things. But, but more than being known and more than having a big platform, he's a child of God. He walks in just that spirit of evangelism and teaching. And I was, I was reading here in Proverbs 25, and there was a couple of verses that stood out to me today that I just felt like were timely for right now. Uh, in verse 11, it says, A word spoken at the right time. Is like gold apples in silver settings. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. And I just really believe that there's a timely word that the Lord has for this body today that you're gonna, that you're gonna deliver. In the next verse, in verse 13, it says, To those who send him a trustworthy envoy, 
is like the coolness of snow on a harvest day. He refreshes the life of his masters. And I really believe that the Lord has sent you here. And although we don't like the word snow up here because we know it too well, I believe that there's going to be a refreshing that's going to take place today. In verse 25, it says, good news from a distant land is coming to us all the way from Dallas, Texas. It's like cold water to a parched throat. Uh, and with that, I want to just pray, and we're going to invite uh, Shane up. Father, thank you, Lord, for speaking through Shane today, Lord, just for ministering to us, Lord, on this baptism Sunday, Lord, that he would just um, uh, be able to flow fully in the power of the Spirit that is in him and on his life. We love you, Lord. It's in your name. Amen. Let's welcome up Shane. Thanks, brother. Love you. For sure. Good morning, good morning. So thankful to be here. Um, I'm glad you did some kind of intro because I'm not going to talk about myself one bit. Guys, today I'm going to say some things today that are really going to encourage you. They're going to inspire you. They're going to equip you. But if you're not a Christian, this is not going to be any good for you. Because the tools that I'm going to equip you with are heavenly tools. I'm getting straight into this because we don't have a lot of time and I've got a lot to say because we need equipping. Like life's not going to get any easier. So we need to know how to endure and run this race well. You know, we're in a fight. We're in a fight of faith. And I've been in fights and I never prayed that the fight would get easier. I just recognize I need to be stronger, I need to be better, I need to be well-equipped so that I can overcome. How many of you are tired of losing spiritual battles? How many of you are tired of getting wrecked by what's happening in your mind? It's like you can't get out of your own head. Well, you're in good company because we're gonna talk about someone today who baptized Jesus and then doubted him later. Did you guys know that John the Baptist doubted who Jesus was. A lot of people don't know. Some people are like, who is this guy now? I don't, I don't remember this in the Bible. We're gonna use scripture. But the reason I'm saying all this is because what I'm gonna equip you with today, it only works if you're submitted to God with your whole life. And I grew up in the church for 25 years. I was a drummer at a mega church, played guitar, played drums, played whatever. And God spoke to me one day and said, you've never lived for me a day in your life. Because to me, it was all about, well, I have a Christian confession and I attend church, I serve at church, but I was living just like everybody else because that's just kind of what everybody did. Everybody was out at the bars. Everybody was drinking a little bit. It's not like we're doing cocaine or something. We're just drinking alcohol. And you begin to rank your sin. That's not that bad. Everybody does this. And then God speaks to you and says, well, you've never actually lived for me. It's always been about you. And that's why your heart's a mess. That's why your mind's a mess. That's why your life is a mess. And so if that's you today, I want you to to know that the one thing I did that changed my life was I sat on my bed by myself and I said, Lord, I give you my life tonight. I've lived for myself for 25 years. I hate my life. I don't even want to be here. I want you to have it. He gave me a new life that night and I haven't been the same since. I didn't need to go to ministry school. I love ministry school. I teach at ministry schools. I'm just saying I had an encounter with God that none of you can tell me didn't happen. You can hate what I'm saying, you can hate my theology, but you can't argue with my life. Amen? That's possible for you today. 
So we're going to talk about this. Uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 1, verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Does it sound like John the Baptist already has a reverence for Jesus? Like he's like, I'm not even worthy to untie this guy's sandals. So he, you know, he's not really doubting anything at this time. He seems pretty rock solid in his position towards Jesus Christ. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is huge because the old covenant, the bulls and goats and the blood of those animals could only forgive sin. They could not cleanse sin. They couldn't cleanse the mind, the conscience. They could only forgive sin. That's why they had a day of atonement every year because they needed forgiveness again and again and again. And John the Baptist says something that had never been said before by a human who said he's going to take away, he's going to remove sin. So it seems like John the Baptist has a good idea of who Jesus is, right? Okay. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Verse 32. And John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained on him. Now, if you saw that happen, would that be like something you would forget? If you saw the Spirit of God come down like a dove and remain on Jesus, would that be pretty impactful? Okay, I think so. There's a reason I'm asking you guys these questions. Verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Sounds pretty convinced, right? Okay, flip over to Matthew chapter 11. If you got your Bibles. The reason we're going to Matthew is because not all of the Gospels tell all of the story. It's from different perspectives. So if there's one story in a Gospel, you should check it out in the other gospels so that you can get the full picture. Because if you only read uh, Mark, Luke, and John, you wouldn't catch this piece right here. Because this is critical. Now we just got done saying John the Baptist, he, he's like, I know who Jesus is. And that's a big deal too, because you remember the interaction with Jesus and Peter where he's saying, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, good job. You know, the Holy Spirit showed you that. So it's a big deal to recognize Jesus as being the Christ, as being the Lamb of God who's gonna take away sin. It's not a small thing. John the Baptist was the first to do it. But look what happens here in Matthew 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, 
Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Did you know that that was in there? Are you the coming one, or should we look for another? What happened? Because he just said, I have seen and testified that this is Jesus. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the guy who's going to take away the sin of the world. I saw the Spirit come down like a dove. It remained on him. It fulfilled a word that I had received before I even met him. Now he's saying what? Hey, is this the guy? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Well, what changed? He's in prison. All of a sudden, life's not going the way that he thought it would go. And how many of us have been guilty of letting our situation change our revelation? You're thinking, well, here's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's going to come. He's the king. He's going to overthrow whatever's going on. I mean, this is going to be great. Jesus is here. This is going to be awesome. Now I'm in jail. Well, this isn't what I thought was going to happen. I mean, if he's the Christ, then why am I in here? If he's the Messiah, then how could I get put in here for doing what was right? I was calling out a corrupt king. Now I'm in jail? Hey, guys, go, go, go ask if that's really... Go, go find out. Go talk to Jesus. Ask him if he's the guy. Should we be looking for someone else? Because something just isn't adding up here. If it can happen to John the Baptist, you think it could happen to us? Yeah. So his disciples go, verse 4, it says this. In another gospel, it says that Jesus performed miracles and signs and wonders in that very hour. So they, they were firsthand witnesses to things. It doesn't say that here in Matthew. Verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Is that pretty good evidence, you think? Like, is that they have enough to take back to John the Baptist? Like, okay, hey, this is the guy, right? Check this out. Jesus wasn't done. Verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Why would he say that? John was just asking for some proof. Do you think Jesus says things for no reason? No. Like there's a purpose, right? There's intentionality behind it. Now, was this message for the disciples or was it for John the Baptist? It was for John the Baptist, right? It was for them to deliver to him. Why would he add, and blessed is he who's not offended because of me? Jesus sees something in the heart. Either John the Baptist was offended or was being tempted to be offended at Jesus. Right there reveals the heart behind the question, is he the one or should we look to another? That question was asked out of some sort of offense. Again, 
I don't, this isn't going how I thought it would go. If he was really the guy, then this and that. If God was really real, then why would this happen? If God was really good, then why would he allow this? If Jesus is really the Christ, then why am I here? Let's go find out if it's really him. Any of those thoughts ever come to your head before? Jesus says, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Here's what's amazing. When we have unmet expectations, it leads to offense. When we're offended, it skews our view of reality. And when our view of reality is skewed, it actually has the ability for us to skew what we've already witnessed. If you have an offended mind, you're not seeing clearly. You're deceived. And the problem with being deceived is that you don't know that you're deceived. And so you think you're seeing clearly, but you're not. And so all of a sudden, you're not just seeing your present through the lens of offense. You will go back and reassess something that has already happened and look at it through a new lens of offense. Instead of John the Baptist recalling the things that he had seen and that he had heard and that he'd done, I mean, he baptized Jesus Christ. Instead of recalling those things, he's looking at the past through the lens of his prison cell. And he's saying, well, now I'm not so sure. We can't afford to do that in this day and age. We don't even have the benefit of sending disciples to go find Jesus and get proof. Jesus told his guys, blessed are you because you see and believe, but there's gonna be people that do not see and still believe. That's us. Jesus isn't somewhere in the Middle East walking around and I can take a flight and go visit him and have my fears comforted. He's very much alive and he's very much real, but if you are a sensual person, well, I need to see him, I need to feel him, I need to have the tingles, I need to know that he's with me, you're gonna be crushed. Because living by faith is actually living in the absence of those things. True biblical faith is living even in the presence of total opposing sensual evidence. You know what I'm saying? True faith is not just when you can't feel Jesus. True faith is when the enemy is lying to you saying the reason you can't feel Jesus is because you're out and you're not in anymore and he's not even listening to you. And when you have those lies and you still press in in faith, that's true faith. True faith is when you pray for someone to be healed and they don't get better, they get worse. Then you find out what you actually believe. Because if the, the getting worse diagnosis shakes your faith, then was it really faith? It was circumstantial. Anyone can pray and someone gets better and you go, hallelujah, I mean, that's amazing. What happens when they get worse? Do you change your mind of God as the healer? We have to hold on to truth. Is this helping anybody? Yes. This is what we need in this day and age. So we don't let our situation change our revelation. Well, how do we do that? How do we win? We take every thought captive. This is how you win every spiritual battle. Listen, I am a strategy guy, I'm a tactics guy. I loved it in the military, I loved it in the police. Well, the enemy has revealed his hand. The devil has shown us his blueprints for how he wants to take out Christians. It's, it's actually very simple. 
and I'm not exaggerating, I'm not like blowing this up when I say this. If you listen to what I'm about to say, you can win every spiritual battle for the rest of your life. It's, it's easy, honestly. Walking it out can be challenging, but the strategy is very easy. It's called taking every thought captive. It's not my good idea, it's not my opinion. I wish I was that smart. The, these are God's words. Second Corinthians 10. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds are wrong ways of thinking. Strongholds are these thoughts that are like your new ceiling and you can't seem to rise above them. And the Bible says that we've been given tools to tear down those thoughts so that we can actually see the way God sees. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ Bringing every thought, say every thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Does it say most thoughts or every thought? Does it say 99% of thoughts or every thought? This is important. I like to do, uh, I like to cook a lot. And, um, you know, one, one of the consequences of cooking is that you have a lot of dishes, And you know what I learned quickly is that if you don't put some water in your pan, maybe with a little bit of dial in there, and just let it sit after you cook, what's going to happen in the morning if you don't do that? You've got a mess on your hands. You got a sink full of dishes and one of those pans is going to take you 15 minutes to get it scrubbed off before you can even begin to try to clean it. But if you just, you know, you're tired, you cook a full meal and you feed the family and you're tired and you don't want to do the dishes, and that could be understandable. But if you don't take those extra just minute to fill that pan up with some water and a little bit of soap, you are going to have a hard time on the back end trying to clean that thing out. Am I right? I'm going somewhere with this. When you've had a hard day, you've had a long day, you cannot afford to just shake those lies and thoughts off and just say, look, I'm too tired to deal with this. And you know what I'm talking about when the enemy is speaking to you and it sounds like a thought and it's just overwhelming. It's, it, you have the anxiety, you've got the, the mental war going on. They call them intrusive thoughts because it's like an intruder put them there. You don't want them, but they're there. Anyone ever had an intrusive thought before? Yeah, it's okay to raise your hand. It's, you're not crazy. It's okay that I was at the grocery store before shopping for mangoes and I had a thought of just like hurling one at someone's head. Anybody else? That's not my thought. I don't take ownership of that. When it comes to your mind, you're just like, what in the world is that? I don't, I don't wanna do that. Those are funny. What about when you're driving on a perfectly sunny day and you have a thought, you should just drive off the road and kill yourself? Anyone ever had a thought like that before? Just totally random, totally out of the blue where you're like, what in the world is that? The enemy is constantly suggesting things that he wants you to come into agreement with. Sometimes they're wild out of left field like that and it's easy to shake them off, but sometimes they're very relatable It might even be something you struggle with, an insecurity or something from your past or a wrong way of thinking. And when the enemy brings these thoughts in, it's not that easy to shake them off. Am I right? Am I I talking to myself or does anybody here relate to that? Yes. But you would never tell anyone that because you don't want anyone to think you're crazy. 
And that's why we never get free, because we think we're the only ones who have these thoughts. It's not true. We get them all the time. Jesus talked with Satan when he was in the wilderness for 40 days. The only difference is we don't see him. We don't see the demons, but they still speak. We have to take every thought captive because when you don't, you let it marinate. You say, I'm too tired. It's been a long day. I'm so exhausted from them. I've been talking about this for a week. I just want to watch some Netflix or something. I just, I just, I just want to go to bed. And that might sound like a good idea because you just need to rest. But what's happening in the pan of your mind, so to speak? It's hardening. And you're going to wake up and guess what? That dish is sitting there waiting for you. And some of you have gone so long without confronting these things biblically and maybe because you just didn't know how. But you've gone so long that you have so many pans, you don't even know where to start, and you just feel totally overwhelmed. And some of you might have even wanted to check out of this life because you don't even know where to begin. It's too much for you. I don't know how I'm going to be able to tackle this. How do I come back from this? I don't even think that pan could be clean. I'm just ready to throw it out. People do that with their lives. That happens when we lose sight of who God is. But it doesn't have to be that way any longer. I'm here to equip you to win. And I will prove to you that this is the goal of the enemy. Look at the book of Job. Who's familiar with the story of Job? Lost a lot of things, didn't he? Well, the enemy's goal wasn't Job's family. It wasn't his resources. It wasn't even his health. Now, did the enemy touch all of these areas? Sure he did. Made Job's life a living hell. That wasn't the enemy's goal. The enemy's goal was this. Job's mind. How do I know? Because in the beginning of Job, Satan comes to God and he reveals his plan. He says, God, nobody actually loves you. They only love what you do for them. I'll prove it. When one of them gets touched or cursed or afflicted or whatever, they will curse you to your face. He's saying the same thing today. He's saying, hey, you person sitting in the pew, you don't love God, watch. I will squeeze your life until you curse God and begin to say, well, why did God allow it? And why did God do this? And why didn't God come in? Is it okay if I'm honest with you guys? Here's the question we ask with the why did God allow? You can't say, why did God allow this person to die? It doesn't work that way. You have to go all the way back to, why does Satan have the right to touch anyone at any time? Why does he? The garden. If it wasn't for sin, Satan would not have the right. Am I right or wrong? This is the Bible. You can't say, well, if God's so good, why do you allow my father to die? It's the wrong, there are wrong questions because of a lack of understanding. What does the Bible say in Hosea 4, 6? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So we get the knowledge, we stop the destruction. People have left the faith because they had a wrong way of thinking. They asked a stupid question. Why did God allow? You won't get an answer to that. And so they just say, well, God doesn't answer my prayers. He's, I don't know if he's even real anymore. And they're not even Christians anymore. I know people like that. Lack of understanding. 
Why did Satan have the right to approach God in the first place, the fall of man? So then you gotta say, well, why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? Because if you don't have the ability to leave or reject someone, it is not true love, it is not free will. You're a slave, you're a robot. Anybody wanna be in a relationship with a robot? No. The beauty of love is that your spouse has the ability to walk away from you, but they don't. That's what makes love so awesome because it's two people who are willingly saying, despite everything in the world, I'm choosing you every day. It's awesome. It doesn't always work out, but it's true free will. That's amazing. God wants lovers. So God allowed Adam and Eve to have free will, so much free will that you can actually go against God's will. God doesn't always get his way. Do you think he wanted Adam and Eve to fall? Is he a twisted father? No, he wanted them to choose love. They didn't. And so throughout history, he's been doing everything possible to bring us back into relationship with him, finally resulting in the blood of Jesus Christ, which has given us direct access to him. He's done it all. Doesn't mean he wanted it to happen that way, but he knew man was wicked and we were gonna fall and he still loved us enough that Romans 5, 8 says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God showed that love. Are you guys with me? So I'm just saying there are bad questions to ask. Why did God allow? Well, God allowed it in the garden because of free will. That's why, it's easy. So Satan tells God, this is my plan. I'm gonna get Job to curse you to your face. He's saying the same things to us today. He is not after your health. He's not after your job. He's not after your money. He's not after your marriage. He's after your mind. And the devil says, I know if I touch a Christian enough, they'll get grayed out. They'll lose sight of God. They'll lose sight of faith. They'll begin to look backwards and reassess and say, well, maybe that wasn't God. Maybe that was just a circumstance. Maybe that was just coincidental. Maybe it hasn't been God all along and get them to walk away. Get them to look at God and say, well, how could you allow? How could you do that? Why didn't you show up when I needed you? Anyone ever faced anything like that before? Aren't you tired of not having an answer? So I told you I was gonna teach you how to win. This is how you overcome. You recognize the enemy's plan from the very beginning. You go, you know what? I know my family's health is being touched right now, but I will never allow anything to get me to question God. I don't care what happens to me. I will never stop trusting God. If you can't say that, you are holding on to your life too tightly. If there's things in your life where you're like, I can't say that, bro. I don't, don't say that. Don't say that. You'll be claiming it. Guys, we're giving way too much power to the enemy. You have to be able to say the thing that the enemy doesn't even want you to say. I have a two-year-old son. I've got another one on the way next month. I, how many of you know I want them to live amazing lives? Serve God, like be fruitful, multiply, all that stuff. So I can have this heart of I want them to be successful and grow and do all the things. And I can also say, Lord, even if they were to die, I'll never stop trusting in you. If you can't even say that part, you reveal they're an idol. 
well, if something happened to my kid, I don't know what I would do. You're, what do you think the enemy is hearing when you say that? Ooh, we got one. Hey, everybody, this guy said, if this one more thing happens, he doesn't know what he's gonna do. I think he's on the verge of breaking. Let's do everything we can to make sure that happens. You have to be un, uh, indestructible. Now, you can't do that in your own flesh. You can't control your, I can't control my son's life. I can't put him in a bubble for the rest of his life. I have to release him. I have to say, God, I trust in you. I love you. I believe in you. You're a good father. You're going to help me be a good father. We're going to protect my son. We're going to provide for him as best we can. But you know what, Lord? Above all, I want you to know that no matter what happens in my life, I will never take my eyes off you. I will never stop trusting in you. Nothing will get me to take off my spiritual armor. You have to have that kind of resolve because if you're not willing to say that, you might find yourself in a prison cell and go, well, where's God? I thought if God was here, then this would have happened. Maybe he's not even God. Maybe there's another religion I should be following because this one isn't suiting my life so well. You think that happens to people? We can't let it happen to us. I'm going to prove to you that taking every thought captive is beneficial. Here's what I want you to do. Self-assessment here. From 1 to 10, I want you to rate how many intrusive thoughts that you would say you take captive. And this is what I mean by taking captive. When I get that stupid thought of, hey, kill yourself, I just go, Lord, thank you for my life. I don't want to kill myself. That's not my thought. I love you, God. I love the life you've blessed me with. I worship you. I'm taking it captive. I'm replacing it with truth. I'm tearing it down. When I have a thought, hey, you're, you're, you're stupid and you're not a good speaker. Lord, I thank you. My identity is not in my ability to preach. My identity is a son. You love me. You've already spoken about my worth by sending your son. Like, God, I just worship you. I don't even care about that thought. That's taking thoughts captive. You don't just let it sit. Okay? So in your own life, Right now, I want you to give a number from one to 10. 10 is I take every single thought captive. And one is I pretty much don't do anything about it. I want you to just come up with a number for yourself. How many do you take captive? Okay, everybody got a number? Okay, check this out. Now, I want you to think about the percentage of your life that is affected by your intrusive thoughts. From one to 10. 10 is my mind is racing, I'm a mess, I can't think straight, I just feel overwhelmed. One is I feel like I'm doing pretty good, my mind's pretty clear, I, you know, I'm able to function, I'm not in my head all the time. I want you to just give yourself a rating from one to 10. Okay, now, would anyone be willing to share your two numbers? Just raise your hand. This is gonna, I did this at a youth camp. I've done this at a conference with 5,000 people. Okay, just give me your, your two numbers. Two nines. Two nines. Okay, so you're saying you take most of your thoughts captive, but you're heavily affected by your thoughts. Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that, that seems backwards to me. Okay, we're gonna talk about that. Uh, can I get a couple more people? Yeah. 
eight and three. Okay, so this is what I expected to see. You're not, you're not messed up. <laughs> you're not messed up, but this is what I expected to see. Okay, we'll talk about that. Let me get a couple more. Anyone, anyone on the side of your first number's low, your second number's very high? Yeah. One in 10. We're gonna pray. This is good. Eight out of 10 says, I take 80% of my thoughts captive. How much of my life is affected? Maybe 30%. This, this gentleman over here says, I take about 10% or less of my thoughts captive and I'm affected 10 out of 10. This is the power of letting the lies of the enemy sit in your mind because the war is in your head. The enemy is after your faith because he doesn't want you to endure. Jesus said in the Bible, he who endures to the end shall be saved. He's talking about Matthew 24. There is a concept of staying in this place of faith. Paul says in Colossians 1, that we've been made holy, blameless, and righteous because of the blood of Jesus, if indeed you continue in the faith and do not depart from the gospel which you've heard. Colossians 1, 23 and 24. Do you think that people start in the faith, they get squeezed, and then they walk away? Yes, they do. Why? Because life is hard. Because if decades go by where I'm destroyed by my thoughts, then this whole Christianity thing isn't really working out for me anymore. Is this making sense? So what we need to do is we just need to begin to take, take every thought captive. And this is how it works. Are we good on time? This is how it works. I used to wake up and I would pray. And again, it wasn't, it, it was just a lack of knowledge. I didn't know how to pray. I would just wake up and I'd say, Lord, you know, thanks for this day. And um, just help me to have a good day. And God, you know, my boss, he is just, he's such a jerk and he doesn't understand me. Just pray you just show them how great I am to this organization. And, you know, my girlfriend, she's really just been so nitpicky recently. Would you just zap her and make her a little more loving, you know? And, um, God, you know, I need new brakes on my car. I pray you would just touch my car because I can't afford that. Oh, my gosh. I need to catch every green light on the way to work so I'm not late. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> And then you're driving to work and you're like, it's all about you. <laughs> I just got done praying, it'd be all about me, right? I'm setting myself up for failure. How many of you know that's the day where, you know, you get dumped, you get to work, your boss, he's yelling at you for something you didn't do, and you're having the worst day of your life on the way home, your car breaks down because you didn't get your brakes checked, and I mean, that's just the day. And you're going, God... I thought we prayed about this. I worshiped you. I serve in the church four days a week. You think you could watch my back a little bit? You're just praying for God to put all your ducks in a row. Who, who, where'd you learn that? I thought we were dead to self. Lack of understanding, lack of revelation, life's all about you. And Colossians, or Philippians 2 tells us to do all things without complaining and disputing that we may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights. Do you think we're living in a twisted and perverse generation? Yeah. How many of you wanna shine as a light? 
Yeah, guess what? When you complain and dispute, you're saying life is all about you. You put a basket over your head and you're not shining for anyone. You look just like everybody else. Okay, so how do we just stop complaining? Well, you have to be dead. You see, the enemy can't kill you if you're dead. So you die to yourself. Well, how do I die to myself? I deny what my flesh wants. I wake up and I say, Lord, thanks for loving me. Thank you that you really do love me. This is just me and God communing on my bed. You love me. You paid the price for my life. You've made me your son. Father, I worship you. I thank you that today I'm gonna burn for you. It doesn't matter what happens to me today. I'm gonna shine for you, God. Lord, you know what's happening with my work relationship with my boss. God, I pray you would use me to be a great employee. Use me to show your love. God, even if I'm treated unfairly, you have treated me so well. And Lord, would I never repay evil with evil? Would I never become a complainer? But God, would I see your perspective in all things? Lord, you know what's happening in my relationship with my spouse or my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whatever. God, I pray that you would just come and bring peace into that relationship because I see the way you see and I'm not in it for me. I'm trying to show your love, not get something in return. God, I thank you. You know, I don't know what's gonna happen with my car and I don't have the finances for it, but I trust in you because you're the provider. God, if you provide for the birds of the air, I know you're gonna provide for me. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I'll tell you what, God, even if I break down on the way to work, I'm gonna minister to that tow truck driver because my day is not about me. I, I am done waking up to have a good day. It's not biblical. I wake up to shine for Jesus Christ. Do you hear the freedom in that kind of prayer? Where I don't have all these expectations and all these ducks that need to be put in a row. It doesn't matter what happens to me, guys. My perspective is not having a good day. You weren't born to have perfect health. You weren't born to achieve all of your dreams. You were born to be manifested by God as his image to the world. That's it. When you take that burden and that pressure off of yourself of like trying to make things happen and you just say, Lord, use me. Truly use me. I don't want Jesus incorporated. I want my life to be sold out to you. Because I'm telling you, and you might know what I'm talking about if you're sitting here listening. A compromising Christian is the most miserable person on the planet. You're miserable. If Jesus isn't your everything, you're miserable. I guarantee it. You might have circumstantial happiness, but you're miserable inside. You don't have peace because you know in a moment all that could come crashing down and you have nothing. I could lose everything and I still have him and I've hit the jackpot. And you can't fake that and you can't get that from a book, like some self-help book or some great teacher. That's only from the Lord. Are you guys with me? Is this helping? We need to be people who take thoughts captive every time and we're dead to ourselves. I'm telling you, you do those two things, the enemy can't touch you. What happens, I'm wrapping up here. I know we gotta finish. What happens when the enemy touches you and he wants you to look at him so that you and the devil can get in an argument because he's a master manipulator. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. He's gonna win, by the way. What if instead of looking at the enemy, you looked at God? 
What do you think happens to a person, maybe even a Christian, with no revelation and no understanding who gets that same thought about killing yourself? Perfectly sunny day, life's going good. Hey, you should kill yourself. They're going, oh my gosh, guys, pray for me. The devil's after me. You're getting in the prayer chain. Uh, I think I have a demon, pastor. I need you to cast this demon out of me. I'm having suicidal thoughts. I need to get in counseling. I need to get in therapy. I need to... Maybe I continue down that road and now I'm on medication. Look, don't, don't crucify me for what I'm not saying, okay? Do you think that that progression of events can happen to people? Or you can just go, Father, I thank you. That is not from me because you live in me and you don't wanna kill yourself. That thought's coming from the outside, trying to get in, trying to own me, trying to see if I'll partner with it. I don't partner with it. I love you, God, and I love my life. And guess what? If you are battling with depression or anxiety or suicide, you have to understand that that is a lie from hell that is trying to get you to attach yourself to it. You come out of agreement with it. But if we don't have understanding, we will perish because we will just go down the natural road of trying to diagnose and medicate what began as spiritual. And how many of you know things begin spiritually and they can actually turn into medical issues? How many of you know you could be tempted to smoke a cigarette and that's a spiritual temptation, the enemy trying to entice your flesh, and if you do it long enough, it will become a chemical addiction. Started spiritual, became a natural chemical thing. Isn't that amazing? So it shows me that the spiritual side is far more powerful because that's where it begins. And if we attack things in the spirit, we'll overcome and our body will come into alignment. Is this helping you guys? So we're gonna be people that take thoughts captive. We're gonna be people that are dead to ourselves. We're done waking up trying to have a good day. But I'm telling you that if you're not a Christian, this, this won't apply to you. This isn't like a try me, see if you like me, 30 day money back guarantee type of faith. You have to be all in because the enemy is going to come and he's gonna try to test you. He's gonna squeeze you. And when you're getting squeezed by life, whatever's inside of you is coming out. Maybe you've been squeezed by life and you responded out of your flesh and you went, where did that come from? I thought, I, I, I sit in church all the time. I listen to podcasts, I worship, but that was not me. Where did that come from? When life squeezes you hard enough, you begin to realize that there might be some things on the inside that need to get uprooted. Let me finish with this. We know about the armor of God. Now in those days, the, the shield and the sword, you know, we have the shield of faith, right? Shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. Spirit is God's word. Well, in those days, you know, think about like the Spartans and the Romans, the swords they had, they were short swords. And they would hold their shields up to defend the arrows from the enemy. Maybe you've seen like the movie 300 or something like that. Well, the enemy, the devil is firing arrows, fiery darts of accusations. That's what the Bible says. He's, an, he's the accuser of the brethren day and night. He's accusing, he's accusing, he's accusing. And sometimes those arrows might get through your faith and they might get into you. Well, back in those days, guess how they got arrows out of their body? They dug them out with their own sword. 
When the enemy gets through your faith and you feel like you've been attacked, the only way to uproot a lie is by the truth of God's word, the sword, to carve out the arrows. I'm not against prayer. I'm not against deliverance. I love all of that stuff. But you know what? You don't always need a hug and a prayer. Sometimes you just need truth. When you're in a pit because of a lie, you don't need a hug. You need truth. When your friend is in an emotional mess, they don't just need a hug, they need truth. And it might not feel good in the moment, but it's the only thing that uproots a lie. Are you with me? We've got to be people that live by truth because we know in this day and age, culture is trying to constantly redefine what truth is. And if you're not living by truth, if you're not holding on to truth, guess what? You'll find yourself going with the flow even if you don't want to. Why? Because you're not dead. You're still alive. You've got some skin in the game. You're worried about how you might look. What people will say, well, what if I lose my friends? What if my own family doesn't like me because I take a stand for something like babies in the womb? Or the nuclear family? Or protecting kids? You think this stuff happens? Sure does. So we need to know why we're waking up in the morning. Amen? Listen, if this is something that you've been struggling with, where you're saying, man, my thoughts have just been wrecking my life and I need something to break. We're gonna come into agreement together today to believe for God who breaks the heavy yoke. Amen? Amen. So if that's you, I want you to just stand up right now. Take a bold step. And if you're dealing with this, don't be ashamed. It's not you. You're saying, you're saying this isn't me and I want it gone. If that's you, I want you just to stand up. Do not be ashamed. This is not who you are. You are saying this is not my identity and I need it to break right now. I see clearly and I want this thing gone from my life. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Church, raise your hand towards these people that are standing right now. We're just coming into agreement with them. We're believing for God to break things off right now. We're gonna pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Lord, that you are the one who breaks the heavy yoke. Your word said, Lord, that where your spirit is, there is liberty, there is freedom. And we know that your spirit is here with us today, right now. And so in the name of Jesus, I command every demonic assignment against these people, every bit of heaviness, every lying, foul spirit that would bring accusations and and lies against them to leave in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for uh, someone's been dealing with like brain fog. That's exactly the words that you would use. I thank you, Lord, that that brain fog would leave right now in Jesus' name. We believe for clarity in minds, Lord. We thank you for these people who desire desperately to be dead to themselves and to take every thought captive. And so, Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would fill them afresh. Fill them afresh, Lord, and speak to them. Even now, I just want you to say to the Lord, God, I'm listening for your voice. Anything you say, I will do. Just make that declaration right now. I don't know how I've been living before, but now things are gonna change. God, I thank you and we bless these friends in Jesus' name. Amen.